Well, good evening, saints. Tonight is Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. Come on, man. The year's going by fast already. Our title tonight is Boernages. If we had a subtitle, which we don't, it would be a son of thunder and the apostle of love. It is our delight and our highest honor to serve shoulder to shoulder with men and women like you. Tonight, we're going to cover things that are a slightly unusual topic for us on a Wednesday night, but I kind of have the feeling it'll be close to your heart by the time that we're done with it. Are you excited? This evening, we'll glean a heavenly perspective from the life of John, the man, the myth, the legend, the most interesting man in the world. The first century Chuck Norris with the spiritual high kick of John claude Van Damme and the one-inch punch of Bruce Lee. A mighty man, yet humble, ferocious and faithful, with the beard of Matthew Pirro and the mustache of Charlie Brown. He set his face like flint towards the glorious promise of victory that was before him. I think you can tell we're a little excited tonight. Yeah. Why don't we get into the text? Let's look at John 1, 5 together. Say there when you're there. Linton's there. Chris is there. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Man, that's a profound statement the more that you think about it. The light that's shining forth in the first chapter of John is something that the darkness cannot understand. We ought to adjust our expectations. The world is not going to understand us. We're not going to receive affirmation or praise from them. But we weren't ever supposed to, were we? Come on, Daniel. Is that a good word today? I'm not looking for affirmation from the world. I'm looking for that light to shine into the darkness and drive it out. Are you? John's experience in life formed his revelation. Some say his fascination for teaching in threes comes from the law of prophets and writings. Some say it's a Hebrew poetry style. I say yes to all the above. The Lord worked stages in his life that defined his relationship with the Lord. You know what we're talking about? He speaks about children, fathers, young men. He speaks about the one who is, was, and is to come over and over again in his writings. John is a man who experienced quite the spectrum of events. He was a boy disciple, a green apostle, and a broken down elder, all recorded in the scripture. He watched Christ die and he saw him raised. His friends fought their fight and he waited for them to be raised. He spoke to the churches and hoped that they would be raised. He was a fisherman and a fisher of men. He was a man of many words and yet very few at times in his life. He was suspected to be the youngest of the apostles, but he was known to be the oldest among them. He was a son of thunder and the apostle of love. First to the tomb, last to the finish line. He suffered the longest, and he saw the most. Come on now, that's a lot of life. That's one man who was a boy with Jesus, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then the man who saw the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love John. I'm loving him more and more every week. Tonight, we're going to look at a few things in his life that I think are going to breed a little courage inside of your soul. Now, he was the most interesting man in the world. A born-again Boa. Now Judah 
don't know if that NIV translation did it justice. Allow me to read from the ESV. Okay. The elevated standard version. Let's look at John 1.5 again. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, brother, forgive me for my inferior translation. However, in this one passage, I think the ESV lends us insight into John's relationship with the Lord. Now, let's not get into scriptural kung fu or translation taekwondo. Why don't use, we use these as tools to be anointed and scholarly? Come on. Let's take our next slide. Strong's number 2638. If there's somebody brave in the room that would like to try to pronounce it, by all means. It's almost kind of fun to say. We begin to look at this in... As students of this house that have spent their time in ministry training, we're trying to properly derive from the text what the text was speaking to us, not our own perspectives being inserted into the text. Like Peyton said, rather than fighting about which translation was better, we decided just to look at the original word and see what it came up with. We began to put together kind of an amplified version, if you will. The darkness was not able to understand The darkness was not able to suppress. The darkness was not able to lay hold of or overcome the light. Does that lend a little bit more to your understanding? Taking the time to properly inspect the word of God and trusting that there's something in it for you while sticking to what it actually says is a beautiful thing. It's almost like there's a system of interpretation that will help you. Let's take that next slide. The darkness couldn't understand, suppress, lay hold of, or overcome the light. Oh, come on, brother. Read it again. The darkness couldn't understand, suppress, lay hold of, or overcome the light. Man, that draws to mind a few concepts. When I think about this as John being a Hebrew-speaking person with a Greek writing, when we say the word understand, perhaps he had the term yada in mind. The idea that the darkness couldn't just conceptualize what the light was, that it was unable to actually obtain it, live in it, be it, know it, that it could not suppress what it couldn't control or be, that it couldn't even grab hold of and begin to move it around. In fact, it couldn't even overcome it. It's almost like a little glimpse into what the enemy came to do and what the Son of God came to do. You know, that light was in John. This is the very first chapter of his gospel. He decided to introduce Jesus the Christ a little differently than many of his brothers. And it often lends an understanding that in combination with the other gospels is useful to us. When he is describing what God did in the world, he starts out by saying, in the beginning something occurred. The word was there and some kind of light was interjected. But the darkness couldn't understand it. It could not suppress it. It couldn't lay hold of it, and it could not overcome it. See, when John speaks in threes and describing multiple things, I think it's because of the process that he had in his life. I think it's because some of this was working inside of his soul, and it's why he was able to walk as a boy disciple, a green apostle, and a broken-down elder. Come on. Let's read it again. The darkness could not understand, suppress, lay hold of, overcome the light of God. John knew that was in him. 
What does that mean? It means that he will not be He will not be understood by the darkness. He will not be suppressed. He will not be laid hold of. He will not be overcome by the darkness. Come on. That's good. You know, 1 John 1 speaks about this. You want to turn there with us? We're going to pick up in the first verse. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at, and our own hands have touched. This, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is reminiscent of John chapter 1. The light was in him from the beginning. John speaks about things that he saw, that he touched, that he experienced. And he wants our joy to be made complete. Come on, the man with the experience is not the mercy of a man with a mere argument. Does anybody in the room believe that? John speaks out of a place where he experienced the Lord. Where something of that light was kindled inside of him. This was an increasing revelation in his life. And he's reaching out to us through the word of God to come up to the standard the elevation, the priesthood, and the place that we are called to. But it doesn't come from mere arguments. It's going to come from an experience with the Lord. Let's go a little further into chapter 2. Find verse 7. Come on, turn a page. You all there? Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you had have had since the beginning. It's not a new command. John introduces it in, in this way. Because it was from the beginning. Think about it. He had it from the beginning. From the moment that he knew that he was following Christ, that light was in him. Let's keep reading. This old command is the message that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. John affirms what you have already heard and what you have seen and experienced. That truth, that light is in him and it's in you. Come on, I'm writing you a new command, and it's an old one. It's an experience that you had and I am building upon. Since it's in me, and it is also in you. Say this with me, church. I have it, it. and God is adding to it. it. In this room, we're going to cultivate the idea this evening that God has given us something from the beginning, something that was light, that could not be suppressed, that could not be overcome, that the darkness did not understand, but is inside of you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Come on. It's passing away. It's passing away, church. The darkness is fading and the light is getting brighter and brighter within us. We are getting stronger. We are going further. We are at the precipice of the Lord's presence. Do you guys want the Lord's presence? I mean, we are going towards the most holy place. It should give us great hope tonight. I say despair be damned tonight. We are going into that heavenly light as the darkness fades. Well, during worship, were you stirred by the way in which the Lord still calls us higher and affirms what he's already doing? Does that not make you sore? The worst thing in the world is feeling like you're doing something that has no fruit and is going nowhere. That is not the case with this body. Darkness is passing away and light is beginning to shine. This evening, we want it to begin to shine brightly inside of us. 
God is going to kindle a fire in us that he already placed inside of you. He already put something there from the beginning that he has appointed a specific stage in time in our life that it is going to grow and it's going to burn. We see this happening when we're repenting, while we watch things being cultivated inside of our hearts. It's going to come to a culmination that changes the way that we view the world in the scripture. In John, 1 John 2, scan down to verse 12 with us. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. The day that you were redeemed, you joined a new holy family. Like a child, you were expected to have pure devotion that grew in strength. Your father watched over you and he protected you. Come on, John knew what it was to be a baby. He was the baby disciple. He was the one running around with all of the older guys and his father watched over him. He knew what it was to have the Lord be his shade, be his light, be the one that led him. You know what it is to be born again inside of Christ and have your father watch over you. Do you remember that? Do you know what that felt like the first time you actually had a real father? When a heavenly standard came into your life. See, John knew that too. And that's why he writes to us about this. The fathers of the faith, like John, draw their strength from their relationship with the Lord. They had a relationship, not a legal transaction. They've known him who is from the beginning. They're aware of his character. They know how he is able to fulfill his promises. I know our elders in the room can testify to such events. They knew that he carried them then and would carry them now because they were both children in the faith at one point and now are fathers in the faith. John is a man who knows what it is to see the Lord bring you through multiple stages, bring you through an elevation that is uncomfortable, that you don't feel like you're quite ready for. But let's be honest, at what point did John ever feel like he was ready for what was happening? John knew him who was from the beginning and the revelation that he had in the beginning grew along with him. Say, had it? You have a revelation too. You young men, that same light resides in you. And now the darkness cannot understand, suppress, lay hold, or overcome you. Come on. You already have what you need to overcome. Say, I have what it takes. I have what it takes. It's time that we decide to stand on it. Depend on it. Trust in the Lord to draw it out as we cultivate the soil of our hearts. Mm. You can do this. You must do this. You get to do this. And you will do this. Say, I can. I I must. I I get to. I I will. will. Before we move on at all, we want to reemphasize right now where we're going with this tonight because it's what the Lord is speaking to you is that you already have what you need. That God placed something special, divine that cannot be overcome in you. What we're learning to do is cultivate our soil so that it actually comes out. So hear me, those thoughts that are lingering in the back of your head about what is this next sermon going to require of me, put it to death. God's going to bring it out of you. He is going to cultivate you and present you holy and spotless before him. He wishes for his bride to be radiant. He wishes for his church to be holy and righteous in his sight. And he's going to help you do it this evening. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God is in you and you have overcome the evil one. Say it again. I am strong. I am strong. The way that you feel has zero bearing on the word of God. You can do this. Failure is not inevitable. Failure is not fatal and your flame will not go out. 
One more, say that one more time. You can do this. Your failure is not inevitable. Your failure is not fatal and your flame will not go out. Say I'm strong with me again. Now say it like you believe it. Tonight, the word of God says that you are strong. He is highlighting this to us because his word is going to live inside of you because you will succeed because the repentance and the promises that you've made, he is going to cultivate to completion. We will not die as cowards. We will die as the courageous. Tonight, we will live in the promises of God. Are you excited about it? It's time that we actually believe what the word says in our day to day life. All too often we stand for what is righteous and then slowly our confidence in what he has said gets deteriorated. Little things begin to chip away at it. It gets eliminated by the end of the week. And what we're saying is that God is able to cultivate it on a day-to-day basis when we look for it. John knew this. He understood this. And he walked this out in every stage of life. When he was the baby disciple, when he was the apostle that was being stretched beyond his limits... When he's the elder that had to trust that other men would carry it on their shoulders what he once did, God sustained him in each part. Something of that light inside of him was unconquerable, could not be suppressed. The enemy could not lay hold of it, and it did not understand what was happening in him. He had to really believe in the light. He had to believe that that light inside of him was more powerful than his own thoughts, than his own concerns, than his own worries. You need to stir yourself and bring out what he has already given you. We don't need a new revelation from God. We need that light that he put in us all of those days ago. What John said through the spirit to Ephesus was that fire that you once had, you must revive it. We want to tell you, church, you have a fire and it is burning. But God is calling it to be set ablaze in a way that removes everything else that is hindering you. He has given you what you need. We're just going to take hold of it this evening. Are you with us? Let's move to chapter three, verse one. John knew what was inside of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is and that is what we are. Say that is what I am. That's what I am. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. John had endured hardship. He had seen his friends martyred, and he had worn out his physical body, and all he could see is how much the father loved him. Come on. I'm a father of a son. Hallelujah! I'm a father of a son. I'm not shielding him to raise a pansy that's never experienced the heat of a fire. I'm raising him up to be a man of God that's full of light. That when he stands before the darkness, it won't understand. It won't be able to suppress or lay hold or take him captive. It will not overcome him. That's the kind of sons we're raising in this house. What about you guys? Are you raising sons that will overcome the evil one? And you are God's sons in this room. And he is not raising pansies either. He is raising battle-tested sons of God. Men that are able to take a punch, able to take a beating, and yet somehow you are filled with an increasing power at the same time. Come on, Habibi. Has he worked in your life through difficulty to make your fire hotter? You're growing closer to the Lord every time I see you because of difficulty, not because of ease. Inside of this house, in this church, in this body, he's raising tested and approved sons of God that have a light that is shining ever, ever brighter. The darkness is passing away from inside of us and from the world that we are touching, that we are called to conquer in. He caused us to confess, be circumcised. Now we are conquering so that we can receive a crown. Let's go to verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not 
yet been made known. Oh, come on. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we yes. shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Say everyone. Everyone. John knew that he was loved by God, and he trusted in what God would do through him. Five times he is called the one that Jesus loved. It shows up in John 13, 23, 22, 21, 7, 21, 20. And he's referenced constantly. As someone who is close to Jesus, even when they're sitting at a table, he's near him. He understood the Father's love for him. In the book of Revelation, while he is mourning and oppressed, God comforts him. This is a man who understood the love of God. And he also understands God's process that works through the sons that he loves. That he is able to correct us, that he's able to train us, that he's able to circumcise us, and that he makes everyone who puts their trust in him pure and holy. That his process as we obey him will present us as holy before him. He knew what it was like to walk through these stages of life. In John 14 it speaks about those who love the Lord obey his commands. He understood this because he loved the Father and he was loved by the Father. We are called to be men who understand the love of God. That we are both loved by him and we love him back. John knew what he had in him was the hope that he needed. There was no despair. He says, I have what I need. My father has put it inside of me. It would purify and empower him. Come on. The darkness could no longer lay hold of him, suppress him, or overcome him. Amen. Today he knew he was a son, and tomorrow he, would, he knew he'd become more of a son. It's an amazing thing that the Bible constantly presents that we are being renovated now. We are saved now, and yet there is never a boring moment in this faith. We are becoming something more tomorrow. Who J.J. Moloch is today is beautiful. He is a son of the living God and a priest in his home. But who he will be tomorrow is even better. When we are really pressing into the Lord, we constantly have the hope of who we will become the very next day. I want to become who he's called me to in the future and trust who he is making me today. Do you? John knew what he had within him was enough. And he could rise to the occasion. He must make his stand, and he got to participate in the divine power. His feelings of fear and inadequacy, and I assure you that he had them, could no longer hold them. You ever been in a room where you feel like you're the least knowledgeable about the word in a discussion? Pretty regularly with you jokers. And it causes you to want to shrink back. It causes you to disengage and start thinking prideful thoughts and motivation or fear. He had to. He got to, he must, and did engage in what God had called him to. And it overcame the world. The word of God lived in this boy disciple that became an apostle of Christ and died as an elder that had stood for the testimony. Our heart is stirred right now. I can feel in the room that many of you deeply desire to get this right. You also are concerned that you're not able to because of years past that you didn't get it right. You're also concerned that in a group like this, you are unable to rise to meet the occasion. That you do not have what it takes. I want to tell you that what he put in you tonight is enough. That as you cultivate what he has already placed inside of you, you can rise to be everything that you are called to in Christ. And only God knows exactly what you will become in the days ahead. But it's going to be beautiful if we trust and expect him to move. John recognized that we were becoming more. 
Want to pick up in three? three? Chapter three, verse four. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows, known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. It's what he does. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Amen. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. John was born of a new and heavenly substance. It was renovating his heart and his mind at all times. He received something that was coming more and more alive every single day, driving out the darkness that no longer had a hold on his life, no longer had the ability to overcome who he was. And he is able to say this, that no one goes on sinning in the kingdom of God because he knew what it was to be transformed in the kingdom of God. When you've tasted of the real power, you can't go back to low living. When you know what it is to have a light burning inside of you that darkness has no hold over, you can't let darkness back inside of you. It's no longer your standard of living. It's no longer who you are in Christ. He was a son loved by God, and he loved his father. His father loved him this far and loved him in this moment, this much. And he trusted that he would empower him in the future. The challenges that were before him, he courageously faced, just like the cross of Christ. He understood who he was in Christ. He understood what it meant to be a son of God. He knew what his calling in life was. Fear no longer had a hold over him. And darkness could not hold him either. When you know who you are and what you're called to be, and you're completely bold, honest, and comfortable with the state that you are being renovated out of, there is no longer any need for fear and insecurity. It only gives way to trust and power from the Holy One. Come on, I'm a son. Amen. I'm a son. But I'm not perfected yet. I still fall short. And what keeps me from rising is fear. And tonight, I want fear to be stripped away from my life. Amen. The revelation that God's light is inside of me and bursting forth in the darkness is shrinking. It's shriveling up. It gives me confidence to rise up and slay my sin. To slay Zimri within me. Let's go to uh, verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. If you really grasp what he... What he gave you and understood the love of the Father, you cannot stay like Cain. Fear of not being accepted or obtaining the standard will snuff out the light that's in you. Are you compelled by I can, I must, I get to, I will attitude? Come on. Or are your successes only relative to your brothers? This is a worldly perspective of victory. Fear of inevitable failure will cause you to lash out with a murderous spirit. Take a moment to think about it. Fear of the inevitable will cause you to lash out with a murderous spirit. If you are corrected by a brother or a pastor who loves you and you suppress 
the Phinehas wanting to rise up and slay that sin. Say, I would never hurt my brother because I am remaining silent. You don't know how big that dog inside you is. And in the moment it's provoked, you don't lash out and hurt someone you don't care about. You lash the person you love the most. Come on now, when we're scared that we cannot meet a standard, you start to internalize this. And your distance between God, like Cain, eventually causes you to hate those that are actually in connection with God, actually hitting the standard. See, sin's secrecy in your life, its subtlety in your life, it's destroying, stealing, and corrupting your ability to walk in the power of God. More acutely, the things that we've been repenting about, we believe that it is just so that I can have purity. You don't understand that the lack of purity is stealing something from you that should be filling you with power and an inability to be corrupted. See, in this house, we all too often, we hear something like this, and we want to repent, we want to get it right. Yes, it needs to be repented of, and it needs to get right just for the sake of being right. But you also need to understand the reason that you're repenting, the reason that you're removing these things is so that you might become what God has called you to. The reason we're dealing with offenses when we're hearing sermons that call us to such a high standard that are pulling us from where we have been in the past is that fear that you're still allowing inside of your life is telling you, you can't do it. You can't do it. And so you start to try to corrupt the standard that is around you. What Peyton is preaching about is that murderous spirit that lives within inside of our body and our church. But tonight we're going to get rid of it. The light that is within us cannot be understood by rational earthly thinking. Earthly wisdom is not sufficient. Earthly victories are not enough. We want a victory that is eternal, that is perpetual, that is not based upon our circumstances any longer, that is not based upon whether we feel like we're doing well. Man, when you, you realize you're not at the standard, but you're filled with the light of God, it becomes a joy to you. Like, ah, He loved me then, He loves me now. This entire time I've had this problem and I just didn't know it. But I get to get it right today. Because that truth is rising inside of us. Let's look at 1 John 3, 21 together. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. Compare that with what we just read. See, when we recognize our own state and are being renovated by the power of the Holy Ghost, that light inside of us is not being suppressed, but it is shining greater and greater. We have confidence before Him. We have confidence in His holy place. That is the distinction between a man who lives in sin and a man who is being renovated from sin. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. You cannot tell me that you believe in Jesus Christ if you do not love one another. That is the basis of an understanding of what this looks like. You do not love Christ if you do not have a strong, burning desire for your brothers to succeed. But the good news is we can cultivate it tonight. Those who obey His commands live in Him and He in them. Man, that is the most encouraging statement in most of the Bible, in much of the Bible. The idea that God will live inside of us. That we won't be alone and distant from Him forever. That there is a day coming when His dwelling will be with man. His tabernacle, His temple, we're all foreshadowing sh- what He would one day do. For now, He's given us a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. His Spirit burning in you. But the more that we press into Christ, there is a day coming when there will be nothing of the old man left. I am longing for that day. In fact, I am racing towards that day by trying to change my old man now to become like him. 
Those who obey His commands live in Him and He in them. And this is how we we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit that He gave us. When you're a son of God, you know what your Father's will is. And you know when His affirmation is on you or His disapproval is on you. All that we have to do is clarify our thoughts so that we can accurately hear from Him. These impure motives, this fear of inevitable failure, they are stealing space. They're preventing you from having all of that unsuppressible light coming from you. Yeah. When we get this right, we have confidence to believe that the light is unstoppable in us. You have confidence to be unstoppable. You have confidence to love him in bold, unreserved obedience. Amen. Bold, unreserved obedience. This is the attitude that says, draw out of me the darkness so I can kill it. Please teach me, rebuke me. Look into my life, pastors. Brothers, look into my life and call out the sin that you see. I promise it will not bring anything in between us. It will make us more unified because that hidden sin is the barrier that's keeping us here when we should be here, shoulder to shoulder. Tonight, we are going to bring out of the men and women of this church a victorious warrior-like spirit that is full of confidence, that is full of power, that is full of joy, that wants to get it right at any cost. I don't know about you, but I'm done being stolen, stolen from. I don't want to have victory on Tuesday and feel like a dog on Wednesday. I want to live in the cross of Christ. I want to live in His resurrection power. He is doing that inside of us, and we must develop the conviction that His light in me is enough. That it is enough. That I have what I need, I just need God to bring it out in me a little bit more. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Man, oh man, when we talk about love, there are so many different theologies on the subject. You'll hear about love in a song. You'll hear about love in a sermon, and really it's just greasy grace. You'll also hear about right teachings about love, about how it is correction. But when you actually love the Lord, and the Lord loves you, and you're secure in that, the correction that you receive, you're not scared of punishment. You're excited to excel in it because it is bringing you closer to the one that you love. By the world's cowardly calculations, light has no mass. It has little physical effect. It's just one of these things that you can see but can't tangibly touch. It cannot be measured or understood. But you can see the powerful effects of light, can't you? By the cowardly calculations of earthly thinking and from an earthly victory, love has very little mass. In fact, it's practically useless. When you think about Worldly wisdom, worldly victory, worldly wars. What does love do? Nothing. Love is entirely useless. It's entirely useless as it's an emotion to the world. But when you know that the Father loves you, I mean like, not theologically, but like in this moment, you can feel that God loves you. Is really anything impossible for you in that moment? Little Tito sitting on the front row here. And he's completely gripped by fear at times. And when he can feel that his father is close and his father loves him, he's really willing to do anything, even in ignorance. In us tonight, the King of Kings is looking for that son that's just like, yeah, I don't care. He loves me. I'm going to go do it right now. I'm going to be filled with power right now. Not only do I have to, I can. I get to. I can feel you in the room. 
You love the direction that we're heading in. So I love it too. I want to excel in it. We want to pray as we keep going. We're not going to preach very long. We're going to aim for something coming alive inside of us that I can feel his hand on. John knew that that light inside of him was unstoppable. He also knew where it came from. It came from his father. And he loved him all the more for it. You know, it's not just John in the Bible that has this experience. He's a fantastic example of somebody who went from the early stages all the way through. Turn with us to Acts 3. We're going to pick up in the first verse. And John was a guy that worked in covenant, that worked in teams, that had brothers that he served shoulder to shoulder with. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. How many times have you passed a homeless person in Houston in the last week? It takes a moving of the Holy Ghost to be able to rightly discern where your attention should be. But praise God when we are working and walking with brothers. And we know that we are sons of God that are intended to cause change upon the earth. And these men have so, such a beautiful response. It is so much better than what the man asked. Look at verse 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Praise God for brothers. Then Peter said, look at us. Say to the man. So the man gave him this, his attention, expecting something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have. Say, do not have. have. We are done thinking about things that we feel like we need. The apostles readily admitted, I do not have this. But apparently it wasn't important. Whether it's silver and gold in your life or it's a fear that you are not going to succeed for more than two or three days at a time. We're putting that to death right now. The fear that you are unable to actually live up to the standard. We're putting that to death right now. Say, do not have. Now throw it away. What we're about to say is what you're going to hold on to. But what I have, I give you. Say what I have, I give. What you have in Christ right now, we are going to give back to Christ with wholehearted faithfulness. And we're going to believe that what you do have before Him, He will do something with. Understand me. The little faith that you have is able to move mountains if you're willing to cultivate it and trust in it. You have something that is worth cultivating. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say walk, walk rightly, walk holy. Take him by the right hand. He helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. We no longer need to rely on earthly possessions. We no longer need to rely on earthly thinking or earthly victories. Regardless what you do or do not have in this moment, you can have victory in Jesus Christ just by trusting in what he has already given you and expecting something to move in your situation. Expecting your heart to grow where you're at. It is no longer possible For us to be without. It's no longer possible for us to be a victim. The understanding of victory and strength is forever changed. When you realize what Jesus Christ has given you. And that light is unstoppable. Cannot be overcome. Cannot be suppressed. That the enemy has no hold over you when you cultivate what he's given you. Micah 3.8 says, But as for me, I am filled with power. With the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might. To declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Micah was not a man that was surrounded by wealth. Not a man surrounded by emissaries who went and did his bidding. He was only a man that had the power of the Holy Ghost to speak when he was told to. What are you this evening? Are you filled with his power or not? 
Church, let's keep moving forward. Acts 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Come on. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Come on. The church of the living God is always opposed, but it's unstoppable. And his servants are opposed, but unstoppable. Listen to Jeremiah. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord, oppressed but not unstoppable. Man, what was in Jeremiah, God put there, and he was cultivating it and causing him to stand firm. In Acts 5, the apostles are dragged before the Sanhedrin. Peter, in his usual brash kind of manner, says, we must obey God rather than men, straight to their face. You can imagine how they took that. The apostles left the Sanhedrin in verse 41, and they were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. See, something inside of them had been cultivated to the point where it didn't matter to them anymore. They knew the light that was in them was unstoppable, could not be overcome, could not be suppressed, no matter what they said, no matter what happened. They could not suppress it, and they could stand in Christ and rejoice because of it. Man, there's something special about suffering with your brothers. It's almost like we need to get out of the palace and the plaudits and into the desert of dependency together. Luke 13, verse 32 says, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal, LCM. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely, no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Man, I want to die in the land that God has called me to. I'm going to die where God has told me to. Why? Because that light that He gave me was supposed to be there for a purpose. I don't want to end up in any other state, any other place, wasting what He's called me to. I want to cultivate that fire that He's placed inside of us. He wants to do that inside of you so that you reach your goal and nobody keeps you from your goal. The Bible, the word of God is full of men who are unstoppable. They could not be shut up. They couldn't be made docile. Nothing would stand between them and their father. They had a burning light inside of them and they had to let it out. Jacob wrestled with God until a new name was wrought. In Genesis 14, Abraham had no hesitation of faith taking on four kings because he knew God was for him. In Genesis 45, Joseph, even slavery, was just to send me ahead to preserve a remnant. In Jeremiah, he had a fire burning in his bones in verse 20. And his bones were fueled by the word of God within him. In 2 Kings 10, Jehu had a holy zeal for Zion. And it was visible for everyone to see. In Nehemiah 6, he courageously carried on his great work in the face of calculating cowards. In Psalm 18, it says, He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. Esther says, If I perish, I perish, but I will persist in his power. Luke 16, 16 says, Forceful men force their way into the fullness and fire of Christ. In John 8, 20, Jesus says to those 
that doubted him. He deemed them completely unworthy of even discussing with them. He said, I'm done. I'm out of here. Where I go, you cannot come. I'm going up to the Father and you don't even have a place in this. This discussion is now going from the earthly to the heavenly. Revelation 5. John's shoulders sway under the weight, but the spirit of the lion came into him and strengthened him. In Revelation 12, verse 11, they overcame by the blood and a testimony. They were tested and approved and purchased by God. Hebrews 10, verse 39 says, Salvation was provided for those who would stand and refuse to shrink back. This is not about some kind of theological ascension. This is about a practical experience that you actually begin to believe that what he put in you is enough. See, we don't usually just teach out of one man's life. We're highlighting other areas, but the truth is you know this is all over the Word. The question is, can you do it now? Can you cause something inside of you to turn towards the Lord in a way where you are no longer worried about every other thing that you have been? That inside of you begin to believe that what He's doing in you is unstoppable, Brandon. That it cannot be beaten. It cannot be suppressed. That the light of God will drive out the darkness. That Spencer McLean can believe that he is going to overcome against all costs. That doubt will not enter his mind any longer. That he will stand in the power of the light that is inside of him. The guys like Nick and Pat Rosales will believe that the darkness that was in their past is going to be driven out here and now and press on until they reach their goal. See, saints, this is what the kingdom is made of. This is how men go from little disciples to green apostles and finish as elders that know the Lord. Not as men who disgrace their life in the end, but men who still know the Lord more than they did in the beginning. We want to read one last passage to you. We want to go to Acts 27 and pick up in verse 29 together. I'm warning you, this is our last passage, but we are going to camp on it for a few minutes. Say there when you're there. We'll get it on. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Let's just pause for a minute. If you've ever been on a boat, this is a really, really bad day. Maybe, maybe you dropped two anchors. Four anchors is just ridiculous. Like, this is the brakes, the e-brake. You're sticking your foot outside the car trying to... They're doing everything that they can. And the men who are praying for daylight are not Christians. These are men that are on the boat praying for daylight to whatever God they can pray to. This is a frantic situation. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors left. Uh, sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Already dropped four, pretending to lower more. And the men who are responsible for the boat, the guys, they, they own it, and it is their job to manage it. They are trying to hide and flee. Man, I've been in so many situations when the men that are responsible for the task just flee like little cockroaches. It's amazing when you know where you are called to stand, how immovable you can become. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Apparently they learned to trust him. Verse 33, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. 
Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Man, there are so many times that we allow ourselves to live in constant suspense. When the voice of God is saying, you're my son, stop worrying about this, trust me, let the light grow, and yet we want to live in constant suspense. Stop what you're doing and eat my word for a little bit. Get some real food in your life that will refresh your spirit, that will cause you to see clearly. Quit trying to handle this on your own and let me come alive inside of you. Paul is speaking this to these men. He seems concerned for them. After this, he said, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of all of them. Then he broke it and began to eat. We have a few remaining questions for you, but the biggest one, Paul could not be made a prisoner. Paul is the one in chains here, not the one that is in charge, not the one with the bread. He is concerned for their lives because he trusted that what was in him could not be overcome, could not be suppressed. The fact that a storm was raging around him didn't change his sonship, did not change the fact that he was called of God, did not change the fact that he pastored men's hearts and he cared about the very soldiers that were guarding him. It was their job to keep him in chains or kill him if he tried to escape. And he is concerned for their life because he could not be made a victim. He could not be told that he did not have what he needed. He could not believe him for a moment. Can you? Have you allowed what God is doing inside of your life to be corrupted where you feel like a victim? Where you feel like you do not have what you need? Even for a few moments, we are allowing the devil to steal your promise, allowing your sinful nature to destroy it. Assad is a man that is called of heaven. And Assad will have to stand over and over again and choose not to be a victim in the situation, not be made a prisoner of any circumstances. He is a man that can hear from God, that does it accurately as a priest and as a warrior. We are cultivating men that do not move because of the storms. I know Ibrahim has storms ahead of him because I've seen the storms in the past. But Ibrahim is not going to be able to move and give up what Christ has given him right now. That feeling of faith that is, no, God has called us to build righteous offspring. He's going to stand by it. We are asking you to clear the way inside of your thoughts. That you might begin to remove areas that you have been allowing the enemy to crush you and take what you know is right. Allowing thoughts inside of your mind that I cannot do this or my sons can't do this or who I'm called to work with can't do this. We've got to breed a little bigger faith. Church, say the light is in me. We're not like the lost men on the boat praying for daylight. The light is in you. I say tonight, we're cutting the ropes. We're going to stir something inside of us. And we're going to go towards His presence, stripping away the darkness and let the brightness of His presence shine forth. No more pity. No more self-deprecation. No more putting yourself down. You are a son of the living God. You have His light that He has given to you and He wants it to shine forth. Bim, you have light in you, brother. Justin, you have light in you, brother. You are just seeing the beginning of what the Lord is going to do in your life. Nolan, my goodness, brother. Whew, I'm going to get through it. Mm. To see a man go through everything that is your testimony. Brother, you are unstoppable. Don't stop. Keep going. There's going to be crowds of disciples following after you because of what you've endured for Christ. 
Brother Andre, I want to tell you that the Lord wants to say to you tonight that you are capable, that you have what you need, and He is waiting for you to step out like a lion, but that He has called you like one of those disciples that was not the man who first jumped out of the boat, but He says, you will jump out of the boat and suffer for My name. I've called you to carry My cross. David Bonham, you're a man that is called, that is also attacked by the things that are trying to steal your light. Tonight is a night when your light shines. When all the other thoughts, and you're going to get clarity in the name of Jesus. We're no longer staying there. You're born of heaven. He loves you. You are His Son. We're going to live in it. Paul is a man that will be a lion and is a lion. I can feel what is rising inside of his heart, what is happening in his life. We're going to see him live as a son of God. Do you want to see him live as a son of God? Yes. Are we a family that is going to allow our brothers and sisters to sit in weakness when they could have strength? No, we're going to grab each other by the arms on the left and right, and we're going to call something better out. Steve is a man that I'm growing closer with every day, and I'm watching him put to death his navel traits and have to stand up and pull it out of him. Today, we're going to cause that light to come out of us. Keith is going to raise a godly household that produces sons and daughters that are ministers of the gospel, that are not like church brats that we've all seen all around us. They are forging something new today. He's just going to have to trust in the light that is coming into him. Cultivate it. Bring it out. I'm looking at Mandy back there that I love so dearly, and I know the things that God has in store for her. And the storms of her emotions will not conquer the light that is in that woman. Man, she's a little powerhouse witness everywhere that she goes. Look at your brothers around you, to your left and right. Said we're going to stand in the light. We're going to be the light. I have the light. Church, can you hear the, what the Lord is trying to teach us tonight? Come stand by me, Judah. Come stand by me, Peyton. See, what these men don't know, well, they do because the Lord has shared it with them. See, this is an incredible church. See, what God has already put within you is something special. The only thing that can stop us is our own fear about what's going to go on. See, what I know as one of the pastors here is that this is, we're already running at an incredible pace. And we're saying, we're going to go higher. Let's elevate our priesthood. And what some of us have done on the outside is, yes. And what we're doing on the inside is, ah. I couldn't keep up before and you're going to go higher and faster? Yes. See, you thought it was about how fast you could run? No. You thought it was about how strong you were? You weren't, none of us were strong enough anyway. Did you hear the prophecy that came forth from Miss Joe? God has made you a jewel. What the Lord promised this church from its foundation, from before it was actually officially a group that met, was that this was going to be a group that would scratch out the precious metals and the precious jewels from the earth. You may not have known that. But you are that. You are the jewels that are being polished. And every time that something is cut away from you, you're like, see, that disqualifies me. No, no now you're just now getting down to the precious part of who you Amen. are. When God adds some sandpaper and he's trying to remove something from you, you're going, see, I'm disqualified. He's saying, no, now you're getting qualified. Now I can polish you. It's just now that you're about to become beautiful. See, he already saw you, Gabby. He knew the incredible value that is in your life. And he's saying, I'm just going to polish you. Amen. 
But Lord, it hurts to be polished. God, it hurts when you cut something away. Yes, it does. But it's his strength and he's saying, it's because you're valuable. It's because you're my son. It's because you're my daughter that I'm going to work this into you. I'm going to keep working it into you. He's bringing people from afar to this place. Church, he is polishing us. It wasn't about your ability when we were running at the pace we were before. Come on. It was his strength that was going to have to get you there anyway. So if he's saying he's going to lift you higher, that's great news for us. Come on. That's just further that he is going to take you, that his glory might be seen in you, that young men will be able to walk in purity, that young women will be able to walk in confidence, Amen. that we can do this. Please put up Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light. That light that the darkness can't even understand. He can't suppress it. He can't lay hold of it. He can't overcome it. That's what you are. Somebody say, I am light. I am light. But just like a jewel, it takes a, it's a polishing process. Whatever refinement process that you want to focus on. Think about gold. How do you refine gold? You turn up the heat and it removes the dross. How are you going to refine silver? You turn up the heat and you remove the dross. How are you going to make a sculpture? You take what's there and you cut away what is unnecessary that the beauty may remain. This is what we are doing. This is who we are. It's saying that God sees you as a precious jewel. And it is to his glory to make sure that you shine. You are the light. You are the light. When you mess up now, that's not your defining feature. That's what you once were. But now it's just him removing that which does not belong so that we can be successful. So that you can walk in victory. So that you can be the light. Come on, it is time for us to respond in the right kind of way. It's time for us. It's time for us to have our hearts moved and say, no more fear. The offense that you have is because you're afraid. It's the truth. And prideful simultaneously. When you start walking up against something, I assure you, when you you try something new, there's fear that's there. Yeah, but there's fear if you don't try something new. Mm -hmm. If the Lord has you step into an area and do something that you're not familiar with, there's fear. you got to put that down. If God is saying, you, you hold your ground. You hold your ground and don't do anything until I tell you. Can I tell you that there's fear there too? Oh, he's saying, I'm going to get passed by. If... No, he's refining you. For others, he's having to move you and say, go do something. And for some of you in this room, he's saying, be still and know that I am God. Either way, it's him refining you. It's him working things in and out of you. Come on, church. This is not the kind of night that we're going to end on where we expect you to put your head down. We're trying to get you to lift your head up. Get your eyes up. You are the living church. You're a part of the church of the living God. This is something that God has for us, and he's used these men to speak it into our lives tonight. Come on now, Pastor. You know what's impacted me about this message personally? is the simple statements. I can't. I must. I get to. Come on. I have to. Who in this house is going to take on that same attitude? Amen. 
Who is going to crush their fear and cowardice with the statement, I can, I must, I get to, and I have to. Hallelujah! The generations are at stake. That's the importance of this message. The minute you begin to put underneath your foot all of the horrendous and devilish fruit of fear and cowardice, you begin to stand and have a marked time in history of when victory began to define you and your lineage. Crush the fear inside of you. Crush the fear inside of your children. And let victory rise up through those simple statements of I can, I must, I get to, and I have to. There's no other option that we actually have. When I'm hearing this message... I'm being empowered. I'm being empowered with the realization of what God has already made me to be. I'm not going to focus on my inadequacies. Because you know what? There's a bold, simple statement that the Word shouts out to my soul. And that is, get over yourself. You love your strength way too much, and it still is not enough. Get over yourself. This isn't about you anyway. It's about the King of Kings being displayed in His fullness inside of you. Oh, may we decrease so that He can increase within us. Let's let the Phinehas inside of us rise and put these things to death and do it with a zeal that is ready to be consumed with I can, I must, I get to, and I have to. Come on, it's time to stand to your feet tonight as the praise team comes forward. As the praise team comes quickly forward that we might rightly respond in this moment. Father, we thank you that you were able to speak into our lives as sons before you. Lord, that we are not cast away as foreigners, but Lord, we are your inheritance grafted in by your great mercy. Lord, we ask that you would look upon us as sons tonight. Lord, and you would speak to us and help us call out of our own selves what you have already placed there. Lord, that our trust and our dependency in you might grow. Lord, and our self-reliance would decrease in this moment. And we might believe that you, you can do it through us, Holy One. Let our faith rise, Jesus. We place ourselves in your hands, your strong and loving hands.